Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Welcome to Midweek. Glory to God. Go with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We have been talking about the kingdom of God. Amen. And I pray so far, it has been eye-opening, it has been revealing um, to you what God's original plan, God's original design. It's just important that we value the things that God values. We love the things that God loves. We pursue the things that God pursues, amen. And uh, so when we understand the kingdom and we understand the kingdom of God in its rightful place, you know, this whole thing no longer is just about Christianity, religious practice, just trying to do the best we can, just saying a prayer at some point in our lives and then hoping and wishing and waiting to get to heaven, right? That's the majority of most Christians uh, living is they're just trying to do as good enough that they can in this earth. Um, you know, there's so much of the word and so much of the Bible that cannot be applied if you're just sitting around waiting. There are a lot of scriptures that speak to the activity of the believer, that speak to what should be happening in the earth today, that speak to the things that we should be consumed by, consumed with, uh, the, the, the things that should be displayed in our lives, anywhere from righteous, holy living, which I think most Christians have written off as even being a possibility. Is it possible to live a sin-free life? Well, he sure couldn't uh, command us to be holy as he's holy, right? Unless that was possible. You know, Jesus and, you know, the Father would never command you with something that, was, that you were incapable of doing. Let's just go ahead and clear that out of the way. What, what kind of mean father? I mean, none of you natural fathers would do that to your children. I want to see you perform something that I know you're unable to perform, but I just want to, it's, your, it's the command anyways. That's not the God that we serve. That's not the father that we belong to. It's not the family that we're in. Amen. And so, you know, anywhere from, you know, living a sin-free life, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. Come on, being light in darkness. I mean, there's so many things that that have been just almost written off by a lot of Christians, and this is why we water down, and this is why we whittle away, and this is why we just come to, you know, the very bare bones of things, uh, the skeleton, if you will, of Christianity without putting any meat on this thing, putting any muscle. With a skeleton, a, 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 a skeleton without muscle, all you have is the structure, but it's not movable. The muscle is what makes it movable. Putting meat on this thing is what allows you to now live out and apply everything this book tells you. Amen. And so we need to understand these things and understand these values um, because uh, until then, we're not going to be able to fully live out and fully apply. And this is one of those verses that won't make any sense to you unless we understand the kingdom of God because Romans chapter 5 in verse 17 tells us that we can reign in life. Is that correct? Romans chapter 5, for if by one man's offense, 
death reigned. You know, we have no problem believing that part of the verse. Why? Because we're more acquainted with our sin nature than we are our new nature. We're more acquainted with the fallen state of man than the renewed state of man. We're more familiar with our sin than we are with our righteousness. We're more familiar with our brokenness than we are our healing. We're more familiar with what the devil has done than what God has done. It's only about familiarity, guys. It's only about what you give your attention to, like we talked about this past week. It's all a matter of what consumes you. What are you consumed by? What do you give your attention to? And when you are constantly bombarded with your brokenness, your humanity, your failures, your ineptness, your insufficiencies, the, the, the lack, then you will never see what God has done. But it says, for if by one man's offense death reigned, much more, everyone say much more, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now, if I went around this room and just asked, who do you think is stronger? Who do you think is more capable, the devil or Jesus? I think I know the response I'd get. I think I know. But why do we live and act like the devil's power to break is greater than Jesus's power to heal, to restore, to deliver, to set free? In fact, it's not even equal to. He doesn't say the same as if by one man's offense death reigned, the same Jesus came to give us life. It doesn't say, it actually says much more. Everyone say much more. That means much more. That means more than. That means if the devil has the power to break, to bind, to destroy, The thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. If he can do that, much more is the capacity and the capability for Jesus to do the exact opposite in our lives. And it promises that by Jesus, by Jesus, if by one man's offense, we're obviously talking about, you know, Adam and Eve, and it's interesting, it says by one man, even though two people broke. Because God sees those two as one, united. They were in one accord. They were of one mind. You know, powerful things happen when you get into agreement. Bad things and good things. But we saw one accord happen in Acts chapter 2, didn't we? They were all in one accord and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. But two people, Adam and Eve, came into agreement with the snake that if I eat that fruit, I will not surely die. And they partnered with a lie. They came into agreement with the enemy. Just as much as you can come into agreement with God, you can come into agreement with the enemy. Just as much as you can partner with the word from God, you can partner with the lie of the enemy. They partnered with that lie. They provided application to what they believed. And now because of one man's offense, death reigned through the one. And we've been looking at this the last couple of weeks as God's original intent. We understand this, that God's design was not Christianity. God's design 
for man was not religion. God's design and God's plan for man was not that, that we would uh, you know, have some sort of belief system on this planet and then sit around and wait until Jesus comes back through the clouds. The, the plan and the purpose and the intent of God was to extend his rule and his kingdom from heaven to the earth. And in doing that, he was not gonna rule the earth from heaven. He was gonna rule the earth through man from heaven. And so he put us on the earth and he gave us three things. If you remember, he gave us image, identity. He gave us likeness, which is our function, our ability. What good is image and identity if you don't have the function to fulfill it? And then thirdly, he gave you the assignment. I will make man in my image according to my likeness. They will identify with me and as me. They will perform and function just like I do. What I say, they will say. What I think, they will think. When, when, when I say something, something happens. When they say something, something happens. The exact likeness. Why? To fulfill an assignment. Let them have dominion. And so in that moment, God removed himself from having dominion in the earth. I know we love the statement, God is in control. And yes, God is in control as a sovereign power. He is sovereign. He, I'm not taking, I, I'm not uh, uh, doubting the sovereignty of God, but in his sovereignty, there's one thing he can rule over and he cannot go back on it. And it is, it, it is his word. Everyone say his word. He cannot go back on it. So if he said, let them have dominion, I guess we have dominion. And so when man fell, man didn't fall from heaven because man wasn't looking for heaven. Adam and Eve weren't wandering around the garden saying, when's Jesus coming? I believe. I believe in the son of God. (laughs) Right? If Adam and Eve had never sinned, where would they be today? Right here on the earth, occupying this earth, this thing that we're all trying to escape. This thing we're all waiting till we leave, right? I mean, every time something bad happens in the earth, what do Christians start saying? Jesus, when you come, Jesus, when you coming, Jesus. And I get it. Heaven's a nice place. I, I don't blame you. But it's just not the original intent. It's just not God's original plan. God actually created you to be an answer for every poor situation we end up in. And I said it before, three years ago, and I'll, it's four years ago now, 2020 hit. <clears throat> and it showed us how ill-prepared the church was for days like that. And that was just a dress rehearsal. <laughs> that was just testing the waters to see where they can push. And when I say they, I don't mean people or political parties. Don't hear me uh, in that account. I mean spirits behind where can we, and you, you think you saw something four years ago, get ready. There's more coming. But I remind you, it's why you exist. Nobody else in the history of this planet has had the, the high uh, uh, calling of living in days like this. 
You can hate it all you want, but Moses wasn't picked for today. David wasn't picked for today. Deborah wasn't picked for, where are the Deborahs? Where are the Esthers? Where are the Mordecais? Where are the Daniels? Come on. Come on. God, God, put who in, God put who he did in the earth at different times for such a time as this, and he knew what he was doing. He didn't mess up. He said, ah, I sent Abraham too soon. <laughs> you know, it's like in, like in a sport, like in baseball. I don't know about every sport. In baseball, you sub one in and sub them out, you can't put them back in. It's kind of like, oh, I used up my, my cleanup hitter already. What am I going to do? No, he put in the best. You are the cream of the crop. You are the best. You are here in the last days for a reason. Amen. Yes, you are. And so every time we have, you know, challenge or opposition, or just, be, just be glad. It's only an indicator to the greatness inside of you. Come on, I'm being your cheerleader tonight. Sis boom ba. Rah, rah, rah. Come on. I'm cheerleading you on. They're cheerleading us on from the grandstands, Hebrews says. They're watching down. They're looking down, saying, go, go, go. Do. Walk in the power. Walk in the authority. Walk in what you've got. You're going to get to heaven. You're going to ask, you know, David, what was it like to slay a giant? You're going to ask, you know, Joshua, what was it like to march around a, a wall and watch it crumble with, at a shout? You're going to get to heaven and ask Moses, what was it like to part the Red Sea? And they're going to look at you and they're going to say, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? We don't know nothing about that. We had to send a priest in for us for the remission of all of our sins and hope he didn't die in there while he was in there. Come on, don't act like Abraham had it better than you. David didn't have it better than you. Paul didn't have it better than you. You got it the best there is right now. Amen. We're on team Jesus. We win. We know the end of the book. But we got to walk in some things and sitting around waiting with bags packed in the terminal is not going to cut it. We got a job to do. He said, let them have dominion. And so he sent, as we saw last week, his desire was not to replace you, but to restore you. He didn't abandon the plan. He restored the plan. And we want to look at that today uh, through Jesus. So that by one man's offense, death reigned, how much more, how much more to those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I haven't made this statement yet, but it's another good just foundational statement when you're understanding the kingdom that you need to get a hold of, so I want you to write this down. The Bible is about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring. The Bible is about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring. No longer will you look at it as a doctrinal book, a theological book, 
a group of stories and studies. Uh, it is a book about a king, the king in heaven, his kingdom, and his royal offspring, his children. You know that, right? Children of a king are royalty. You know that, right? You're sitting next to greatness. You're sitting next to royalty tonight. Kings and queens. Kings and queens. That's royalty. In the family of a king, there's royal privileges that come with that. Amen. And so when we understand the concept that it is about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring, that now becomes our lens. Remember, we started this whole thing off by talking about the power of recall, the power of, of bringing back to mind God's reminders. And these are the things that you've got to keep in front of you. I have watched people, I've watched people shout and with joy uh, uh, receive the kingdom message and after a short while, just like Matthew 13 says, they depart from it. They abandon it. It's not uh, as great of an emphasis uh, as it was once. And I want to remind you, this, this kingdom series that we're doing, reminding you and rediscovering and recalling the kingdom principles, uh, this is not a, a, a theme of the month. This is not a series that I, it is literally the context within which Everything we do, everything we preach, every scripture we look at, every point we make is in the lens of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if you don't change out the wineskin and you put new wine in there, you're going to lose the wine and the wineskin. I'm giving you the wineskin, guys. I'm not giving you wine. This is the wineskin that holds the wine. So now everything we preach and teach on is through the lens of the kingdom, through the lens of the kingdom. I remember in 2009 when I first heard the kingdom message. My pastor brought it, Pastor Earl. I remember for a month before that, he ministered a series called The Unseen Principle. This would have been in May of 2009 the unseen principle, just to set us up, just to prepare us. And he kept, man, he kept pushing it. June 6th, I don't remember what the exact date, the first Sunday in June. He said, I'm dropping a word that, I, that I've received that is gonna change everything that we do. It's changed everything about what we believe about the word. It's changed. It is the core of everything. You have to be ready to read. And he was just prepping us week. And finally, the week came and we were serving that morning. And it's like, ugh. I love serving, but that morning was like, I mean, you pumped this thing up. We all, we served. We were with two, two and three-year-old kids, and it, I don't know, it was probably a three-hour-long service, which they can do that regularly anyways. When Pastor Earl was here a few weeks ago, they went to, I don't know, we went to one o'clock in the afternoon, but he poured out the kingdom. I remember we went to lunch with Pastor Marcus and Meredith afterward, went to Arby's, across the street and we're sitting there and he's just kind of dropping some of the nuggets. And right there, I mean, my mind was like, oh my gosh, you serious? Like, so you go back and you listen 
just like all of you do. This is my midweek. I know you guys listen to every service you miss and even the ones that you're here for. I can say that by faith. Just look straight ahead. Just give me a, a little nod that says, yes, sir. Went back and listened. And then from there on, just kept building. But not everybody received it that way. And there were some that were like, wow, that's amazing. That's a great word. And then abandoned. And so we have to keep this before us. It's got to be the lens through which we see every subject. The kingdom of God, this kingdom message is the core. And maybe some of you are in our church. Maybe you haven't heard me minister directly along the lines of the kingdom like I am in these weeks. But we will, I will do this every so often in our church to, to catch some folks up, but then also to remind us to keep in front of us these principles that are so important. Because remember, we started this whole thing off by talking about a message that Jesus was obsessed with, a message that Jesus was willing to die for. Remember, they don't believe that they're killing the Messiah. And they're not in their minds thinking, oh, wait, this is the guy that the Old Testament prophets prophesied about, and so we're supposed to kill him, and then he's going to rise again, so we need to kill him. Uh, you know, we need to murder him so that prophecy can... They don't believe that. They believe that they are murdering someone, killing someone for calling himself a king, for calling himself a ruler, for setting himself up as a maniac and a lunatic. You got to remember in the, in the court, they're not reading the Bible like we are reading the Bible and seeing it fulfilled today. And this was a message that he talked about constantly, preached on constantly, died for stood before a, a Roman ruler that had the authority to let him go, the natural authority. Of course, Jesus says, it's not by your authority that I live or die. It's by the Father's command. But naturally, Pontius Pilate could have said, man, you're just a crazy person. Get out of here. And ultimately, that's what he wanted to do. That's why he washed his hands of his blood afterward. He said, fine, you guys are the ones that killed him. I got nothing to do with this. Stood right before that man and said, you say rightly, I'm a king could have easily renounced it, could have easily walked back on it, could have easily said, no, no, you got me confused. They're just being crazy. I'll, 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 I'll die down on the kingdom stuff. And he didn't do it. And so we need to be interested in what Jesus is interested. Amen. And what Jesus is interested in. Matthew chapter four, verse one, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and for 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world 
and their glory. I will give it all to you. Let me just stop right there and just look at this statement. The devil takes him to the peak of a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, I will give it all to you. How did he get those kingdoms? Adam handed it over. This is what we explored last week when man fell. Man didn't fall from heaven, he fell from authority. He fell from a place of rulership. He fell from that place of let them have dominion. He lost his place. When, when, when Jesus came and said, Adam, where are you? Was he talking about physically? Of course not. To the God that knows everything? What are you hiding from God? <laughs> it ain't possible, isn't it? No. He's saying, where are you? Spiritually, you're not in your place of authority. You have abdicated the throne. You have stepped away from the place that I called you and from the place that I've, I've, I've put you in, that place of authority that let them have dominion. And Adam hands it over to the devil. Now the devil can go to Jesus and say, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms. That's interesting if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. It's interesting at the very beginning of this in verse one, it said Jesus was led by the spirit. Isn't that interesting? He didn't fall into that temptation because he sinned. He didn't fall into that temptation because he did something wrong. He was led into the wilderness. Because here's the thing, what man lost, Jesus came to get back. What man lost, Jesus came to get back. Remember we read last week in Genesis chapter three that right there in that when man fell, he goes to Adam, what have you done? The woman that you gave to me. He blamed God and his wife in the same sentence. Isn't that, that's, you don't, poor example from Adam. Don't blame your wife and surely don't blame God. The woman you gave to me. So he goes to Eve. The serpent, right, just playing the blame game on down the line. And he goes to the serpent, he says, I will give a seed to a woman. You will bruise his head, but he will crush. You will bruise his, he will, you will bruise his heel. You will crush his head. And right there in that moment, God already puts a plan in place of restoration to get back. Remember, I showed you that with Moses, he said, I'll make a new nation. With Noah, he said, I'll make a new nation. With Abraham, he said, I will make a new nation. Apparently, God is still extremely interested in the earth and putting people on the earth. At no point do we see God disinterested in the earth. It's like, all right, forget that whole plan, messed it up, didn't work out. You foiled my plans. I'm going to take you back to heaven. We're just going to live up here in mansions and on gold streets and just have a good old time. 
No, he doesn't say that, does he? It's all about the earth. It's all about getting things back in order on the earth. So now here we are, thousands of years later, somewhere around, you know, they they say maybe around 4,000 years we've got from the time Adam and Eve fell to when Jesus shows up on the scene is in this wilderness that God has had this plan in place to restore. Remember, I did the whole Bible thing. I showed you the Bible. If it fell from here, if we, have we restored it? If we place it on the platform? Absolutely not. You have to put it back where it originally was. For God to restore you, he can't take you up to heaven. He's gotta put you back here on the earth doing what you were doing before. That's restoration. That's a restoration process. So this whole time, God has been working up a plan. Pastor Chris, can you find the verse um, to seek and save that which was lost? Um, yep, Luke. It's in Luke. You can find that for me. Google. Hey, Siri. Where is the verse? <laughs> seek and save. Hey, Holy Spirit. Luke 19, 10. Jesus came to restore what was lost. Luke 19, 10. I didn't give that to the guys back there, but if y'all can. Hmm. You might have a hard time with this one, but it's okay. All we got to do is repent. When we have a hard time with something, all you have to do is repent. What does repent mean? It just means to change your thinking. In the New King James, this verse reads, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and save, what's the next word? To seek and save, to seek and save, come on, everybody, to seek and save, Okay, it doesn't say who, does it? How do we typically translate that verse? What did he come to save that was lost? People, you and I, not true. That's not what it says. Otherwise, it would say the Son of Man has come to seek and save who was lost. That That doesn't mean he didn't come to seek and save you. But what he's most interested in, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that. That is the kingdom. That's what he came to seek and save, which was lost. The kingdom. The kingdom was lost. (laughs) You still with me? I can stop right there and we all come back tomorrow and just... Spend the next, come back next week, spend next seven days just processing that alone. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Man wasn't lost, the kingdom was lost. The kingdom was what was lost. Now, yeah, man is lost as a result of that, but there's a bigger picture. You gotta zoom out on this. You gotta see the bigger picture, not just the individual I was lost and Jesus came to redeem me. He came to redeem a kingdom and your position in the kingdom. 
The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. The kingdom of God was lost, and he came to get it back. Jesus came to get the kingdom back. And in Matthew chapter 4, we see an engagement, a conversation with Jesus and the devil. I mean, this is it right here. This is the showdown. Right? I mean, this is the two highest powers. This is the last level on your video game. Right? The last level is reserved for the the highest, the biggest boss, right? And what happens in Matthew chapter 4 is a restoration of what should have happened in Genesis chapter 3. It's a picture. Jesus engaging the devil, the devil asking questions to bring doubt, just like he did to Eve, to question identity, just like he did with Eve. You'll be more like God. Y'all remember that? That's a questioning of identity because Eve was already like God. Can't be more like God. The temptation to disobey the word of the king and to bow to his word. And so Jesus, in this moment, Matthew chapter four, led by the spirit, he didn't fall into temptation. You can fall into temptation. You can get there, you know, basically with with no intention on your own. You can fall into temptation. But Jesus did not fall into this temptation. He was led by the Spirit. Why? To undo, to get back what Adam and Eve lost and to show us. Let me show you how it's done. Now, what this shows us is that Adam and Eve in the garden did not need God to do a single thing about the snake. But if it were you and I in that garden, 2024 version, the second we see a snake challenging us, questioning us, tempting us, the first thing we do is we start crying out to the king in heaven. There's a big bad snake down here. And he's trying to tempt me into disobeying your word. God, I need you. God, I'm crying out. God, I need you to intervene. God, in your miraculous power. Not one time do we see Jesus do that in this entire conversation. There's two things Jesus does. One, he responds with the word. Responds with the word. And notice the devil used the word against him. How about that? (laughs) Using scripture against the word made flesh and dwelling among, I mean, 
some boldness. That's some tenacity right there. The second thing he does is he rebukes him. At the end, he finally says what? Get out of here. Now, Adam and Eve. Remember, Matthew chapter four is a redo of Genesis chapter three. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, the kingdom. He came to restore the kingdom of God. And led by the Spirit, the Spirit says, I need you to go take care of some business for me. I need you to go and defeat the one that tempted my people in the first place. Adam and Eve had all the dominion, had the authority, had the power to put that snake out of that garden. In fact, it was their command. I give you charge over this garden to keep it, guard it, protect it. Last time I checked in Genesis chapter one, it says I'm giving you dominion over the earth, every bird of the air, fish of the sea, everything that creeps on the earth. You think the snake would qualify? The snake would qualify as something that's creeping on the earth? which means what? That snake is under the power and authority. They don't, notice this, God doesn't even warn them about the snake. God knew his ultimate enemy was in their midst. God knew, he cast them down there. Now think about it, if you're a God, if you're a God, uh, you know, let's say you run a business. You run a business and your second in command rises up in your business and says, I'm gonna overthrow you. I'm gonna overtake you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna run this business. You're gonna come work for me. And you throw that guy out, okay? You throw, you throw the bad guy out and says, get out of here. You're not gonna be ruling anything around here. There's a third of the guys. You go with them too, okay? It's your business. A guy tried to rise up in your business to overthrow you. You send him out. He takes some employees with him. And then you take one of your employees and you say, you know what? I want to create another franchise of this location in another place, in the same town where the bad guy is. And I want you to set up shop over there and you're going to rule it and you're going you're to have dominion. Don't you think it would be helpful for the new guy you're sending to let him know, by the way, one of our ex-employees tried to rise up and overthrow me. You're setting up the same franchise there. You might just want to be on the lookout for him. You know, just be on the watch. If he tried to overthrow me, he's going to try to overthrow you. Wouldn't that be a helpful warning? <laughs> we don't even have record that God says, hey, uh, angel Lucifer up here. When he was up here, he tried to overthrow me wanted me to bow down and worship him. I cast him out. He took the third of the angels with him and they've set up shot down in the earth. So as you're doing your ruling and your reigning and your dominion and you're overseeing the affairs of the earth as I commanded you, he's under your power. I just want you to know he's down there. We don't even have that. We have no record of that. Because there's a couple things. One, all that Adam and Eve need to do to keep this snake, the devil, the serpent at bay. One thing, they, all that they need to do is simply obey the word. 
I mean, what if they just decide, uh, you know what, we're not going to eat that fruit. We're going to stick with the word of God. We're only going to eat the fruit of every other tree available, but this one God said, do not eat. We're just, what can the devil do? What can he do? What power does he have? He has none. He has none until you give it to him. He has no authority until you give it to him. At that point, all they had to do was just remain submitted to the word of God. The devil can't touch him. The second thing they could have done is cast the devil out because that, that was their territory and that was their domain and anything that would compromise them from ruling and reigning over that territory, they can rebuke it, it has to go. And not one of those requires God to do anything from heaven and intervene on man's behalf. Y'all with me? Not one of those is, God, I need your help. God, I need you to show up. God, I need you to do this, God. And so Jesus is showing us in this conversation. Not once does he cry out to the Father. Now, you know what he did, but you know what he was doing before that? He was fasting and praying. What's that? He's getting in communion with the Father. See, this is the thing. When you get in communion with the Father, you learn about him, and in turn, you learn more about you. And Jesus come to find out, I have authority here. One, I'll just stay submitted to God's word, and he didn't fall prey to any of those temptations that came. Did he? No. No, I'm just going to obey my Father. Secondly, he finally cast him out, get away from here, get thee behind me, Satan. Yeah. See, this is why we say for believers in the kingdom of God, the devil's not your problem. He never was. It was our ability to submit to God's word and keep our will in line with his. That's always been the issue from the garden to the Old Testament to Jesus to the New Testament. The devil's not beating anybody's brains out. The devil is not chasing you, uh, 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 making you do things. Uh, he, he's, he's not, uh, you know, forcing his will upon you. It's not happening. You are opening a door. You're opening an avenue somewhere. You're giving him access. You're yielding to his way versus God's way. It's that simple. And Adam and Eve simply had to stay in line in obedience, submitted to the word of God. What do we say? If you don't remain under authority, you won't remain in authority. And so Jesus, to get the kingdom back, guess who he's got to go to? The one that it was handed over to. He's got to defeat him once and for all. He's got to defeat him once and for all. And so he challenges him here in Matthew chapter four. This is what it says about Jesus in 1 John chapter three. Just write them down so I can get these to you real quick. Didn't get as far as I wanted to, but that's okay. 1 John chapter 3, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. What was that purpose? That he might destroy the works of the devil. 
Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. I said he destroyed the works of the devil. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So Jesus is going around undoing everything that the devil did. This is why the argument God puts sickness on people doesn't hold up because if he did, then Jesus is in direct disobedience to his father, healing everybody God made sick. It's very clear, all who were oppressed by the devil. Jesus is not going around undoing. God's God's like, I'm trying to teach them something. Don't touch them. He's like, man, you're healed. (laughs) He's not disobeying his father. Y'all with me? Luke chapter four, verse 18. Jesus came to this earth to restore what was lost. The kingdom was lost. As a result, man was lost as well. But the kingdom is what was lost. The kingdom was lost. The kingdom is what Jesus came to get back. And in verse 18, it says, the spirit of, this is Jesus speaking now, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus came as a man Because, remember we said last week, the dilemma was God could not come in spirit and redeem mankind. Why? Because God gave dominion to who? Therefore, God's like, I can't intervene in that realm. I gave man charge over that realm. I'm not a man. But if I can find a way to put myself in flesh, so deity becomes humanity. Jesus comes in the flesh. Now he qualifies. The other qualification is you got to be spotless. No sin. Right? Imperfection cannot redeem imperfection. Perfection's necessary. So Jesus comes. There's the element of what Jesus did as God. But what you have to understand is Jesus did not do what he did as God. Jesus did what he did as a man submitted to God and empowered by his spirit. Jesus did what he did as a man, submitted to God and empowered by his spirit. You know, Adam and Eve, they were once man, submitted to God 
and empowered by his spirit. It says that he breathed into their nostrils and his spirit went into theirs. Eventually in Genesis chapter six, sin becomes so rampant on the earth that he says, I have to remove my spirit from mankind. So that tells us that the spirit was there at one point. So a man, woman, submitted to the father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is what has dominion and authority on this earth. Of course, if Jesus did the miracles he did and did the signs that he did and did all that he did and did 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 as, a, as God or Acts chapter 10, verse 38 as God, then you and I can be like, hey, that's awesome. I'm not God. I'm made in the image of God, but I'm not God. But no, Jesus did what he did as a man, submitted to the Father and empowered by the Spirit. Guess what you are? You're a man or a woman. There's only two. (laughs) Submitted to God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. Say, I am a man or a woman, whichever one qualifies you. No confusion in this room. Say, I am a submitted to the Father, empowered by the Spirit. That's what he said. He said, for the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why would God need the Spirit of the Lord is upon me? Why would God need anointing? No, man needs the Spirit of God upon me. Man needs the anointing upon me to heal, deliver, set at liberty, bring sight to the blind. Y'all doing okay? Ephesians chapter one, let's wrap it up there. Ephesians chapter one. I'm trying to show you what Jesus came to do. What Jesus came to do. Because if you think, Come on, after tonight, it should not be in your verbiage any longer. Jesus came to die on the cross for my sins so that when I die, I go to heaven. It should not be in your communication anymore. Jesus came to die on the cross for my sins so that when I die, I will go to heaven. No. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 says, Uh, Back up to 19, back up to 19. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above. Everyone say far above. All principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things, everyone say all things, all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Notice that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above, not 
nipping at his heels, not barely outrunning the enemy, not barely outrunning darkness, not barely doing better than, much more, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. Jesus came to get back what man lost. He did not come merely to die on your cross for your sins, die on a cross for your sins, so you, when you die, can go to heaven. He came to bring a kingdom back, and that's why he was obsessed with this kingdom. You know why we preach the kingdom today? You know why we we preach the gospel of the kingdom like this? Because we want Jesus to get everything he paid for and died on the cross for your sins so that when you die, you go to heaven is not everything he paid for. I think I used this example before, but you know, if I went to Chase over here and I, and, and I said, hey, Chase, I know you need a new vehicle. So I don't know if that's the case. I'm just using it as an example. Chase, you need a new vehicle. I've gone to the dealership and I found the most expensive Cadillac Escalade they had. Just pick something nice. I've bought it for you. All you got to do is go to the manager, say, I'm Chase Ellenberg. I'm here to pick up a vehicle. It's paid for. You just got to receive it. Go in there and get the keys. And they give you keys to a vehicle that's not a Cadillac Escalade. It's a Dodge Ram. Not a bad truck if you have a Dodge Ram. Nice truck. And I see you driving around then that thing. I'm like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's this? Uh, it's the car I picked up. That's not what I paid for. That's below what I paid for. You need to go back and get what I paid for. <laughs> not what you, I'm just, I'm happy with the Dodge Ram. I'm fine. It's not what I paid for though. I'm happy with he died on the cross for my sins and then when I die, I go to heaven and just live a miserable life down here, sick and diseased all the time and just beaten down by the enemy. I'm, I'm okay with that. Not the, not the question, it's not the problem. It's not what he paid for. He paid for you to rule and reign on the earth once again. (laughs) It's not what he paid for. Stop driving around something far below what he paid for. He paid for full reigning and authority, for walking in dominion on the earth. Not to cry out to God every time a situation arises, but to look the situation in the face and say, get thee behind me. That's what I paid for. We lay hands on the sick because we want Jesus to get what he paid for. We cast out demons because we want Jesus to get what he paid for. We preach the kingdom of God and authority and rulership and identity with Christ because we want Jesus to get what he paid for. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Jesus paid a high price. He gave his life. The Father paid a price, his one and only begotten Son, in whom you are well pleased. Father, we want Jesus to get everything he paid for. The sacrifice he made, the life that he laid down, we want the full result. So, Father, I think you continue to open our eyes by revelation of the Spirit to see what you see, not just what we're settling to see, what we're satisfied to see, what you see. We want you to get everything you paid for. We believe this together tonight in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,
Amen. Hallelujah. We'll be back this Sunday. We love you. We'll see you then. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.